Hello, everyone. You're listening to Finding Japan, episode 27. Three times is a charm. Yes, yes, three times is a charm, and I really do think it's true. Why do I say that? Well, it has taken me three times to get this podcast out. I'll tell you all about that in a second.、Um, I'm also going to give you guys a brief update as to what I've been up to and what's kept me from doing these podcasts for at least about a week or so. After that,、uh, I'm going to answer a few questions from a listener and talk a little bit more about what you can only find. In Japan. Ah, so a little something different with the intro there. I'm going to try and change it up and put a little bit more music in there in the front. How are you all doing? I'm sorry I can't hear your answers, but I wanted to thank everybody for leaving tons and tons of comments this past week. It's been really great to see everybody writing and interacting, and、uh, I've learned so much.、Um, San, I'm definitely, definitely down with getting that kimchi recipe if you can send that along. Kimchi stew, I believe it was. So I'm looking forward to that.、Um, interestingly enough, one of the reasons why this is the third time I had recorded this podcast was because I had, I had attempted to do one、um, while cooking again. But the problem was, is I had recorded the first half of it、um, before I was making the rice and getting everything prepared. And then I thought I had recorded the second half of it. But unfortunately, as soon as I had finished creating the meal and was about to eat it, I picked up the, rec- the recorder and saw, ah, hadn't pressed the record button. This recorder, you have to press the record button twice, and often I, I forget to do that. So I apologize. Rather than give you half of a recording of a cooking show, instead, I'm going to just do an entirely new episode. So that is one of the reasons. Uh, the second reason is I had started a recording yesterday and I just didn't feel it. It just wasn't working. I, I was at the Olympic Youth Center, which is right near Yoyogi Park. And after、um, doing a short presentation with my instructor, one of my Japanese instructors, I decided to walk around the area and try to find my way into Yoyogi Park. And、uh, Meiji Jingu Shrine. And then I had the idea of actually going to Harajuku to the bridge to try and do an interview with a few Harajuku girls. But unfortunately, the vibe just wasn't there. I just wasn't feeling it. it. What was really strange about these girls is they were all sitting along the bridge, and usually most people just walk by and kind of look at them. But Something must have been in the water or the air today,、uh, that day, because people were just lining up to see these girls and Japanese people, too. I had seen quite a few older Japanese people who were walking around and, and literally like going right up to the girls as if there's some sort of strange, exotic animal and kind of pointing and going, Oh, wow. I mean, it was just, it was incredibly bizarre. And there was a photographer there who was taking pictures of the girls and The girls were doing their great act of just pretending to be completely uninterested. But of course, we all know that if no one was there to take pictures of them, these girls probably wouldn't exist. So, 
there's also a group of guys there who give out free hugs. So one of these days I'll, I'll get a little interview with those guys. But I was also trying to look for the guy who sings the U2 songs with a boombox, and he wasn't there, unfortunately. So it was a bit hot. I was kind of tired, so I just headed home. And I instead of posting or pasting together uh, a post that's just not coherent, I decided to, well, let's just scratch it. So today is Sunday. It is about five in the afternoon, Japanese time, a little after actually. And I had just finished up a bunch of work that I needed to do for work. And I have also just finished getting myself organized. So I finally feel like it's now I can take the time and invest and sit down and do a, a proper podcast. So what has been going on with me? Well, there's been a couple of things that have been kind of taking up quite a bit of time. The first is I've been planning my summer vacation. Uh, my fiance will be here in a few weeks. I think it's less than four weeks now, so we're really excited for that, aren't we? And um, what I will be doing is taking her around Tokyo for two weeks, and then the following two weeks, we'll be doing quite a bit of traveling. So I'm in the process of organizing um, our days and trying to get the hotels booked and sort of sequencing everything out, and we're trying to take in as much as possible in two weeks. There have been quite a few recommendations on the blog for certain places to stay. Uh, I also received uh, an email from Terrence with some information. Um, in this post, I will link back to Terrence's post where he talks about cool places to stay in Japan if you are interested in that. So please check the show notes if you'd like to do that. Our itinerary at this moment is looking like Hiroshima Miyajima, which has the famous... Um, Tori Gate that is in the ocean itself, so it looks like it's floating on the water. And apparently they also have some sort of monkeys, and I'm just a total monkey freak. I love monkeys. They're awesome. They're like people, but but cooler. They're, they're different, you know? So apparently there's monkeys on top of the island, and we're going to go check that out. And then I think on the way back we're going to go to Okoyama, uh, Kobe, Kyoto... There's one other place I think we'll stop, and then we're going to do Mount Fuji, kind of wrap it up at Hakone, and then I'm going to put something nice and special together for uh, my fiance's birthday, which is the day before, I think it's the day before, no, two days before she leaves Japan. So I have my work cut out for me, and at this point I only have two sets of the hotels booked, so I still have quite a bit more to do. So that's one thing that's been keeping me away. Um, school itself has been very, very busy. Uh, we're learning, we're, I'm at a point now where I'm learning many things that I hadn't already encountered. Um, doing self-study in Japanese, you tend to sort of skim over a lot of different stuff and never truly learn it. I talked about this a little while ago when I was mentioning um, my reservations in being placed in a lower, uh, lower starting class than I had anticipated, but in retrospect, I think that that decision was one of the best decisions I've made since I've been here. And, you know, executing that decision with some level of humbleness really shows me that I should do that a lot more often. Some of the things we're covering are, are can be quite difficult to a beginner, and I still definitely consider myself a beginner, but all this extra review has really let it sink in. And I realized that this weekend when I went to a presentation that one of my professors was giving. 
Let me give you an example. First of all, my professor at, well, he's only one of my professors. I, we have many, many teachers in our program, but my professor at Waseda is, I've been told, I, I don't know for sure, but I've been told he's a world-renowned linguist. He speaks, I think, four, five, maybe even six languages, um, Chinese, Japanese, a little bit of French, German, Russian, Korean, so he's got quite a bit of expertise, and he also has some very interesting teaching methods, um, which I really enjoy. He was giving a presentation to other teachers, and what he needed was a sample class to come up on stage with him so that he could teach the sample class and then sub subsequently um, teach the other instructors about his teaching style. So he was actually teaching two sets of people, us and, and the other instructors. And, and we did learn a new grammar point in that actual um, short classroom exercise that he used as a demonstration. So, um, However, before the presentation had begun, he had sat down next to me and we were eating lunch. And we had an entire conversation in Japanese about the difference between uh, this area where this particular place is located and where I live. And even though I wasn't able to completely say everything that I wanted to say, I understood about 90 to 95% of what he said. Now, clearly part of that is he knows my vocabulary, so he's using words I know. But also, I thought it was such a change from when I had first started learning Japanese. And I don't know, it was just really encouraging. And, and it really reinforced the decision to take the lower level class. So... Anyway, um, that was that was a whole lot of fun. I wanted to talk a little bit too about his teaching methods, which I think are pretty unique. He does quite a few things that that are, are kind of fun. Um, one is during roll call, he'll actually create a situation or a scenario and describe to it and describe it to us in Japanese of what we need to do. For example, instead of just saying, you know, Osan or Krisan, and have everybody just say hi, 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 you know, and then moving on with the lesson. He creates this scenario such as, um, I'll say this in English since it'll be a lot easier. He'll say something like, okay, when I call your name, I'm going to use a small, a small voice. You need to pretend that you can't hear me, and then someone next to you should tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, when, when Sensei is calling your name, you know, make sure that, that you listen carefully. And then I'll say, what's the matter? And then you say, I can't hear your voice. And yada yada and then we go on and then he incorporates that into the actual lesson so you are very confused when you're first starting out the day but after being taught what he was trying to get across it becomes a very reinforcing way to learn the language so that i really appreciate also he does quite a bit of role playing in skits where in the skits we're not only interacting with the teacher we're interacting with other students so for example, giving and receiving verbs, ageru and morau, uh, and um, the different forms, and you know what, what's the other one? It's like uh, we just learned it, and I, I can't even remember, so I'm not even going to try. I need to review it. However, being on both ends of that conversation reinforces the fact that you're not just learning one single part and that you're interacting with your other students who are also learning. So that's another really great way of learning the language that I've learned for him. And then finally, on the linguistic side, he teaches a method of breaking apart Japanese sentences into chunks and using a rhythm to go ahead and 
um, speak it. And I think that's especially good for other Asian speakers who are just starting to learn Japanese because oftentimes the rhythms between languages are entirely different. I think that English has quite the same rhythm as Japanese. And I just said that last sentence purposefully, you know, breaking it up. I think that English has pretty much the same structure. Blah. Okay, whatever. But when people are first learning Japanese, they'll often sort of stumble over words. They'll be like, hmm, ima nanimo tabe tabe masen. And, and to a Japanese person who's listening to you, it becomes very difficult to know what you're saying. So the first thing he teaches us is think about what you're saying first so you're not stuttering over your words as you're speaking. And it's okay to say, you know, chotomate, gomenasai, you know, and, and just sort of think about it for a, little, for a little bit. But once you have thought about it, you can be very distinct with where you put pauses in your sentences. And as a result, um, you can be understood much more. So I appreciate that technique as well. And these were just some of the techniques that he was sharing with his fellow teachers. So it was very exciting to see that and to participate in that. So that had happened on Saturday. And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get another podcast out on Saturday afternoon, as I had uh, originally intended. So anyway, I hope you forgive me. And I hope that the rest of this episode certainly makes up for a lack of episodes lately. I do have some videos that I am going to be posting soon as well. And once uh, this episode goes out, I will probably post two video episodes this week. They're already queued up and ready to go. And then I will be back with another podcast shortly on the following weekend. Okay, and... One other thing is, I think it was last weekend I went to a park. I think it's called Arakawa. I'm pretty sure it's called Arakawa. I'll have to check one of the other episodes I did to see if that's the proper name. But anyway, if you were to draw a line from Tokyo and go completely east, you'll end up crossing two major rivers. The first is the Sumidaku River. Or this, I'm sorry, the Sumida River, which is right where I live. The second one is the Arakawa River. And the Arakawa River is much bigger than the Sumida River. I would say probably twice as wide. And I, I can't speak to how deep it is, but it certainly is twice as wide. And it's a major, major river running through um, Tokyo. So along that river, there is quite a bit of land that was repurposed for being used as a park. So consequently, there are many soccer fields. I think there are a few grass tennis courts and many, many baseball fields. So last Saturday, about, I don't know, maybe about this time, I took a bike ride over to Arakawa and experienced this, a Japanese Little League baseball game. Yeah, 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 yeah
I just love this little bit. It's great. Uh, it just takes me back to my days when I was in Little League. I, I was never really good at baseball, and um, I had always been pretty bad, actually, but I somehow made it into the major leagues and then had a good year of just hanging out with my friends. But the thing that struck me is it, during this little scene here, there were so many things that were the same and so many things that were different. It was it was such an odd feeling. In terms of things that were the same, um, the parents on the sideline just intently watching their kids, and then the few alpha males just sort of yelling at the kids and telling them what to do. In fact, there was an old guy there, too, who was sort of pacing the uh, the stretch between the home plate and the third base and kind of walking back and forth. And I believe either his, I'd have to say his grandson, the guy was way too old to have a uh, a son that age. Most of these kids were probably anywhere between 8 and 12, I believe. But these kids um, were doing their best. They're having a good time. But this guy was taking it so seriously. And he was just yelling at these kids, especially the one he knew on third base. So I kind of chuckled to myself and said, I have seen that so many times. And it's kind of funny to see that here in uh, quite a different culture. One of the things that struck me as so different, though, was how organized these kids' chants were. He would, while the kids were at bat, um, their teammates would sing certain songs to sort of say, you know, you can hit the ball, blah, blah, blah. I don't really know what the kids are saying. I can only hear or only discern a few things of it. But what I did know is that they were all sort of singing the exact same thing at the same time. The chants we had were much simpler. Their their chants were pretty pretty complex, rhythmically, I should say. And the other thing that was interesting, too, is there was one small kid who was pretty much the leader of the chants. So he would start something up, and then the other kids would respond, and then he would go again. It was sort of a call and response. We were never that organized, and it was, it was kind of fun to listen to these guys do their uh, their little chants there. So I hope you enjoyed that little sound-seeing tour from the Arakawa River of the Little League Baseball game. Okay, now I want to move to the meat of this episode, which is a topic that has been on my mind for quite a while. As you know, I often talk about getting stopped by the police officers on my bike, though this time I pretty much don't talk about it anymore, as it is still a relatively frequent occurrence, maybe about once a month now. But uh, that's, that's besides the point. What I did want to talk about today was... Train etiquette, chicane, and my fear of being wrongly accused of something. I have a story to share with you guys that I think you will find at least mildly interesting, but for me, it absolutely scared the crap out of me. One of my biggest fears is being wrongly accused for something that I haven't done. Let me explain. You know those movies where someone is wrongly accused 
the audience knows it, but the perhaps the protagonist in the movie doesn't know it. The victim obviously does, or maybe the victim is even unsure. But certainly, there's this sense in the movie that you know the person is innocent, and it's all about whether or not how, not if, but how this person gets vindicated. Well, I cannot stand watching movies like that. They drive me up the wall. So not only am I, not only do I have this fear of being wrongly accused of something, I, I can't even stand to see somebody else be wrongly accused of something. It just drives me crazy. So that being said, to give you an idea of, of my state of mind, the other day I was on the train and there weren't many seats, and I was very tired. I was faced with a decision, a dilemma, I guess you could say. The dilemma was, as soon as I went on the train, there were two seats available. The two seats were right next to each other. However, on one side, there was an old woman. Now, most old women in Japan usually tend to be fairly uh, wary of foreigners, especially on the train. I've noticed this. I've been in seats where there's plenty room next to me, and there's a tiny little spot between some crusty old Japanese guy who's half drunk and half asleep and probably half dead on the train. And an old lady will walk on, take one look at me, and go right for the old guy. So I, I have noticed that there is some sort of distrusting or wariness of foreigners. So that's number one. On the other side of these two sets of seats was a little girl. She had to be maybe, eh, I'm really bad at this, especially with uh, little Japanese girls. I'd have to say somewhere between 7 and 10 or 11, somewhere around there, probably more on the 9, 10, 11 side. Now, she had her, you know, her school hat on, her school backpack, the whole deal. She's just sitting there quietly by herself and kind of actually turned away from the seat. So I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I really want to sit down because it's been a long day and I'm tired and I want to work on my homework on the train. So I said, I will err on the side of caution and sit next to the old lady. So I sit down next to the old lady. I give enough space for her. I'm not touching her or anything. And there is a seat left between myself and this little girl. And now I am with my papers I have my phone in one hand because I'm using it as an electronic dictionary and kind of propping up the papers with the back of the phone at the same time and then writing out and doing some of my homework. No problem, right? Okay, so we go maybe three stops up and the little girl doesn't move at all. I think she actually sort of fell asleep or was just kind of spacing out. So I'm doing my homework and out of the corner of my eye, in the middle of being between two stations while the train is moving full speed, it wasn't even slowing up or um, speeding up, slowing down or speeding up, I should say, she all of a sudden launches herself into the air and kind of spins herself around and like starts looking at me. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's that's really weird. So I look up and I see her looking at me and she has this look of confusion surprise and disgust on her face and immediately what pops into my head is oh my dear god this little girl thinks i just did something to her perhaps she was asleep and got startled woke up and saw a foreigner sitting next to her and jumped up now we weren't anywhere near a a station yet so it's not as if the doors had opened up and the chime went off and you could hear people getting off and 
there was no major bumps or turns, so it's not like the wheels were screeching. So she just bolted. She just got up and bolted out of her seat. So now I'm thinking, uh-oh, I don't want to make really direct eye contact with this girl because then maybe she'll think I really did do something. So she's sitting there, and she's hanging on to the pole, and she's right by the door, and she's kind of like skirting next to the door like, oh, I need to get away from this guy. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, oh, God, please, please, please. So I'm looking around to see whether or not anybody has been looking at me. And, of course, everybody's on the train kind of staring down, doing the typical Japanese thing of spacing out and just looking at their own little area. And no one's really looking at me doing my homework. And I look over to the elderly woman who's next to me, and she's actually looking at her phone and doing some other thing. What I thought was kind of interesting, though, is nobody really reacted to this little girl except me. And I kind of, like, looked at her and went, whoa. So the train begins coming to a short stop, and as the doors open, I'm thinking, I I always think the worst situation, I'm thinking, this little girl's bolting, she's going to run out and tell the the guy who's responsible for opening and closing the doors on the subway that something's wrong. And I said, well, if this train stays here for more than like a minute, you know, I'm going to be kind of worried. So I'm sitting there, and the doors aren't closing. I'm thinking, why is the train sitting here so long? I'm just expecting someone to come into the train, have her point me out and pull me out. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, no, please don't have him. But eventually, eventually, the doors closed and we were on our way and I was I was vindicated. I did not do anything wrong. So I just thought, ah, oh, man, you know, Terrence had talked about this, too. There's that movie. Um, I don't know the Japanese translation, but it's, you know, no matter what you say, I still didn't do it. I was just thinking, man, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be, um, what a terrible situation that would be. And no one would be there to see that I didn't do anything either. And, uh, I, I, and I purposefully sat away from her so I wouldn't have to deal with that. So, oh man, that was just not fun at all and kind of threw my heart for a loop. <sighs> wow. I'm getting all worked up talking about it again. But man, that is that is a scary thing. And that, that was kind of... A, not a fun experience um, that I went through the other day. So I, w- I was talking to 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 Linda, my fiance, about that, and I'm like, you know, I am never sitting next to a little girl ever again. They're they're too unstable. They're dangerous. I mean, it's like a wild card. You 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 know that thing fires the wrong way, you're bound to get you know a finger blown off or something. You know, it's you don't want to get anywhere near that. So at this point, if I guess the only if you don't live in Japan, you haven't experienced this. I said the. I guess the only thing I could tell you is don't don't sit next to little girls or don't put yourself in a situation where any of your actions, no matter how small, um, could be misconstrued. And uh, the scary part for me is I, I didn't. I could see if maybe I was sitting next to her and I bumped her with my elbow or something, but I was a seat away from her. So this was just it was the worst of the worst situations for me, at least in my head. And, of course, you know, coming from the mindset of, you know, just despising being wrongly accused. And that that's probably making it a lot worse than it really is. But I figured I'd amp it up just a little bit to make the story a little interesting. So there you go. That is my story about scary little Japanese girls and why I will never sit next to one again on the train. Uh, that's right. 
You know what that music means? It's time for this week's or this episode's Only in Japan. This episode's Only in Japan is a food. I had the opportunity to try the weirdest thing I think I've had since I've been in Japan yet. And I, I want to clarify weird. I, I think to me, new foods aren't necessarily weird, they're different. Foods that I'm familiar with that are done in a completely different way are weird. For example, I think I had talked before, it may have been an earlier only in Japan, and if you're listening to this for the first time, you may want to go check it out.、Um, one thing I had talked about before was egg on pizza. Now, I've had pizza tons of times, but I've never had egg on pizza, so that was weird. Now, clearly, there's weird Japanese food, but it's things I haven't had before, so don't really consider them weird or necessarily worthy of a only in Japan. However, this week's only in Japan, I do believe, is worthy. I was in the convenience store last week before going, going to the Arakawa Park. I ended up stopping, and I saw something that I had never seen before, and it is pineapple Kit Kat. Now, I've seen fruity type. Candy in the store, and I've seen chocolate, but I've never thought of the two together. So, clearly, what's a boy to do? He's got to try it. So, pineapple Kit Kat. Now, there should be a picture on the blog. So, if you're interested, go to the blog entry for this episode, www.findingjapan.com, and you will see a picture of the pineapple Kit Kat with a link to a larger picture. Now, this pineapple Kit Kat is made by Nestle and does carry the Kit Kat logo, so it's not a one off copy. This looks like something that is wholly endorsed by Nestle and by the Kit Kat brand. Okay, let's talk a little bit about appearance first. First, by all means, it looks exactly like a regular Kit Kat. No funky colors, no funky inside, exactly the same. However, the packaging is a little different.、Um, Chocolates in the US are sort of packaged in like a foil wrapper, whereas this is packaged in a foil sealed package where, that you actually have to open as opposed to、um, taking, just taking the wrapper off. So that's number one. They were also, I think, wrapped together in sets of two instead of four. So minor difference there. However, pineapple Kit Kat is not like chocolate with pineapple inside, it's like a regular Kit Kat. However, the chocolate itself. Tastes like pineapple. Now, this pineapple is so strong that if you even open the bag, you immediately get blown in the face with this whiff of pineapple. More pineapple than chocolate, actually. So, how does it taste? It actually doesn't taste that bad. It's not a bad taste. I was very surprised. So, if you are in Japan, you ever have the opportunity to try Kit Kat pineapple, pineapple Kit Kat. I highly recommend it. I don't think it would go good with something like coffee, though. I often associate coffee and chocolate together, you know, chocolate cake and coffee, or some sort of chocolate covered bread thing that you can like dip in coffee. That, that to me would be okay. But in this case,、uh, pineapple and, and coffee really don't go together very well. I think it's the whole citrus and bitter thing at the same time. But something about the pineapple. And the chocolate really works. Now, it, it may sound like a short only in Japan because there's really no other way to describe it, but I don't know. Maybe if, if you're at home, take a, take a slice of pineapple and a bite of chocolate and let me know whether or not you find it absolutely repulsive or, or something that 
you would want to see in a candy bar. So actually, not not too bad. Um, I had a request to send some out to a few people too. So if somebody's interested and you want to try it, let me know. Maybe I can buy a bunch all at once and then send it out all at once instead of doing this five times because I have had a couple people ask me for some pineapple Kit Kat. So there you go. This episode's only in Japan. Nestle's Pineapple Kit Kat. Well, we're almost at the end of this episode. I did want to answer a question received from uh, one of Finding Japan's listeners, one of the original listeners, I think, too, San Nakji. And I think I got the name right that time. San, let me know if I'm off. But San's questions actually has quite a few. And I think one of them I will actually do as a future self question since I thought about it and I really. At this point, I really can't focus on a good answer. I have many answers, but I just can't focus on one. So let me ask one question now, and then let me ask a question to my future self, San, if, if you don't mind.、Um, I'd like to do that, and I'm, I'm sure he won't. Okay, San's question is he says, I'd love to hear what your impression of being a foreigner in Japan is. What is really hard, and do you find it easy to meet Japanese people on more than a superficial level? Personally, I found it hard, but that could just be me. Well, I, I think, in terms of impressions of being a foreigner in Japan, this whole podcast is, is really all about that. There, there are things that I think are useful as a foreigner in Japan,、um, or it's useful to be a foreigner in Japan, such as、uh, when you get stopped by the police and you can just pretend you don't know Japanese and they'll believe it because you are a foreigner. Um, but again, you know, things like getting racially profiled is sort of, sort of a downer. But let me focus more on meeting Japanese people because this is something that I have put a lot of thought into lately. There have been a couple things actually that have happened that have, that have made this、um, sort of be at the forefront of my mind. I think overall, it's not difficult to meet Japanese people and to get to know Japanese people. However, I do think it is difficult to get to know Japanese people, as you say, on more than just a superficial level, though not impossible. And I think if you are interested in meeting Japanese people and getting to know them on more than a superficial level, you need to do it in a different way, either through a shared interest or through the internet rather than you know, usual face to face meetings. Let me explain. One of my friends, who is Japanese that I've known the longest, is Saya. And I've mentioned her quite a few times. However, I, I should clarify this by saying I, I don't think Saya is、um, the typical Japanese person. I think she's much more worldly than typical Japanese people that I've met. And she's much more in tune with Western culture and things that are going on in the world than just、uh, what's going on in Japan, as, as most Japanese people are. I think. In that way, a lot of Japanese people are like American people. They really only tend to think about their own country and they don't really think too much about what may be outside of their country. Now, again, that is a gross generalization. I realize those are often dangerous, so, so take it with a grain of salt.、Uh, again, I'm just based on my observations of both Americans and Japanese people.
So that's number one. But would I say that I, I know Saya pretty well? Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I've talked to her quite a few times about some of, you know, my fears and, and doubts, and I don't really feel like I need to keep anything from her. And it doesn't seem like she does as well. And she certainly told me things that um, about her or about her friends that I necessarily wouldn't tell, you know, my friends in, in America having known them for the same amount of time. So just small things here and there, nothing, nothing major. So I definitely think that that is one large exception. But I should say that I met her through the shared interest of photography, not just coming to Japan and looking for a friend to meet. And I had known her before I had even come to Japan the first time, and that's when we decided to meet up. So it's been a gradual process of building up that trust with her, but she's one of my great friends here in Japan now. And in fact, I just saw her last week, um, last week, two days ago, in uh, Friday. In Friday, no, on Friday, Friday night, one of uh, her friends and one of my friends from Flickr had uh, come to Japan. I think she's here for, what, four or five weeks? And she's just traveling different areas. So she's spending a week in Tokyo now, and she'll be spending another week uh, when she's done touring the country, and her name is Hannah. And so, you know, we were talking a little bit about how it was interesting we got to meet through Flickr. And I really think it's because of that shared interest. So that that's one big exception. And on a side note, a complete tangent, there's, there was just, I think in the latest Business Week, there's actually an article about the new youth culture and about how people in other cultures, especially those younger people who have always had the internet and who have always been connected to each other, are now starting to think more globally. And as a result... Um, that's changing company marketing strategy to younger people. So if your target market is, say, 18 to 22, you better take a hard look at uh, a global strategy as well as a local strategy since a lot of the values are now being globally driven, since people are now connecting to each other based on shared interests, not necessarily just the people who are around them, their locale. So that that's a side note if you're interested in that and the impacts on business, go check that out. That being said, though, um, I I often talk about, too, the people that I know at the Tachinomi and Kamata. However, I don't feel like I know those people on other than just a superficial level. They're great people, and I have a blast with them, but I don't know much about their personal lives. I only know about our collective life at the Tachinomi and hanging out. Now, clearly, I don't hang out there as much as I possibly could, and I could get to know them more. But I do consider them friends and not super, or not, how should I put this, not very deep friends, but certainly not superficial friends either. I I think, I don't know, now that I'm thinking about this, I feel like I've made a deeper connection, but I don't know if that's just because that's my perception of it and I want to have a deeper connection, or maybe I'm looking a little too far beyond what it actually is. What I do know, though, is these people are fun to be with, and they slowly clue me in as to different parts of Japanese life, and I appreciate that. I have a great time with them, and they're people that I care about. So that being said, certainly not as deep of a friendship that I've had with, say, my friend Saya, but also um, it is much different than than making friends in uh, the United States. So... uh, If you read any culture books on Japan, you'll know that the biggest difference is 
you know, the Japanese keep their outside face on to most people. Whereas Americans, as soon as you sit down at a bar with them, say you're both traveling and, you know, you just happen to meet somebody at a bar and you strike up a conversation based on work or something, there's a good chance that, that you'll exchange business cards and become friends and just kind of hang out. Americans are much, <clears throat> excuse me, Americans are much open with that, much more open with that, whereas Japanese people, I, I would say, really aren't. So in terms of finding it difficult to make those Japanese friends, yes, without an in, without being introduced to these people through the Tachinomi, I would not have as many Japanese friends as I do now. Though, I will say that there are rare exceptions. Last week, in fact, I was in a classroom very early in the morning, about an hour before class started, and a Japanese girl, she's an undergrad, a senior, just stopped by and said, hey, I'd like to be friends with you. So myself and another classmate who um, was also there with me are now meeting this person every Tuesday morning just to chat and hang out and have some conversations. So that was a rare instance where I think a, a Japanese person came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to hang out and talk and and have, you know, and share share stories and conversation and talk in English and talk in Japanese. So that was, I think, very rare. And that's only happened once in the, uh, what, 90-something days since I've been here. Ooh, it's 100 days, 100 days today. Okay, so in the 100 days that I've been here, it's happened once. So it's once in 100. Um, and then the people that I work with, I really wouldn't consider friends, though they are people I interact with all the time, so... To answer your question, I think yes, but I, I probably qualified the question five times over now, so I apologize. Okay, and San's second question is, what do you think America can learn from Japan, and what thing would you like to see in your own country that Japan has? Well, besides a pineapple Kit Kat and cucumber Pepsi, no, um, I at this point, I don't know, so... I'm going to cue the music. Letters to my future self. The future self here. This might be a podcasting first, trying to divine myself, my future self. Okay, he's almost here. Okay, I think we have his attention. Let's see. Future self, future Christopher, are you there? Of course, he can't hear me because I. I haven't aged yet. Okay, let's let's ask this question. Six-month future self from today. San asks, what do you think America can learn from Japan? And what thing would you like to see in your own country that Japan has? Maybe he can answer this in Japanese, too. That would be great. Okay. So thank you, San, for the questions. I, I appreciate it. And... Um, you certainly helped me fill up about, looks like about 13 minutes here in the podcast. So anyway, that's going to wrap it up. I hope to get this out soon. Uh, this has been episode 27. Quick recap here. We covered uh, just some updates, talked a little bit about my professor and his teaching methods, the little girl's story here, and then Sans questions, and then pineapple Kit Kat only in Japan. Wow. That was a long episode for those short topics, but I hope everybody enjoyed it. I do have some other topics lined up. I think I always do. I'm, I'm going to stop saying that now because I always have something lined up. But 
This will be going out this evening, so Saturday, well, Sunday evening for the East Coast, uh, late Sunday night for Japan. So I'm sure many people will actually listen to this next week, early next week, as the weekday gets started. I hope you all have a great week coming up. Stay tuned for some mildly interesting videos. If you like video games, you'll be into it. And、uh, if you like trains, you'll also be into the、uh, second video I got queued up. So, again, I will be catching up with you all on Twitter. You can email me, Christopher at FindingJapan.com. You can leave a voicemail message on the blog on the right hand side there. And you can also leave comments at each post. I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you found this useful. And I will talk to you all soon. Take care now. Bye.